What is up my Sunlight Samurais? This is your go-to Goku, Hans Amato. So I wanna give you a much better alternative to rapamycin. Now the reason why people use rapamycin is because they think that you need more autophagy. So rapamycin, it inhibits mTOR1, which then leads to more autophagy, better autophagy, and supposedly better longevity and better health because autophagy helps to protect against things that cause excessive growth, like, you know, cancers. And also when you have oxidative stress, it might damage proteins and lipids and DNA and autophagy helps to clear that away. You don't want that to accumulate. So that's why people use rapamycin. But I want to give you a much better alternative. And here it is. So let me first just go through autophagy with you guys. Here you can see cellular stress, it activates AMPK. AMPK is a major driver of autophagy. It inhibits mTOR. When you have too much AMPK, you don't really build muscle. So too much oxidative stress and inflammation prevents you to actually build muscle adequately. That's why when you use something like aspirin, which blunts inflammation in the elderly, they actually get an anabolic effect from it. So access inflammation is obviously a bad thing. But stimulation of AMPK basically promotes this whole autophagy process. So the activation of AMPK goes to the ULK1 complex, which then stimulates the PI3K complex, and then the PI3P pathway, um, creating this omegasome, creating this phago4, which then encapsulates like these broken and damaged lipids and proteins and mitochondria and whatnot. And this, this is the maturation process where this whole phago4 is then enclosed, encapsulates these damaged stuff into a autophagosome, this complete encapsulation. And then this autophagosome fuses with a lysosome, which contains proteolytic enzymes, it fuses together, and then it degrades this broken mitochondria into individual lipids and amino acids and stuff like that, which is then released into their individual items, so to speak, that can then be reused by the body. So when your body breaks down damaged mitochondria, you get vitamins and minerals and amino acids and lipids, and then the body can actually reuse those things uh, in the process. So it's not a waste, it's a recycling process. So the whole thing that you have to keep in mind here when it comes to autophagy, autophagy is actually a recycling process. It's not like you build muscle and you break down muscle. It's not like mTOR, autophagy. They always work in a spectrum. They are both activated at the same time. So even if you eat and you consume amino acids that stimulate mTOR and insulin that stimulate mTOR, you still have autophagy cycling going on. And actually, this is because AMPK stimulates autophagy. You can never fully suppress AMPK. So people that are basically diabetic, they have high blood sugar, they have hyperinsulinemia that excessively stimulates mTOR and causes problems. So under normal conditions, you actually have a good balance between mTOR and autophagy. So let's say this is in the middle. You are kind of like a few hours away from a meal and you haven't eaten yet. So you're in a balance between mTOR and autophagy. Now you eat a meal. Now your mTOR goes this way and autophagy goes this way. So autophagy becomes suppressed and mTOR becomes elevated. But it's not like you completely crush. It's still a ratio. So mTOR, for example, would be 70% and autophagy would be 30% instead of a 50-50 ratio. And when you go to bed and you become fasted, that ratio obviously goes more into the favor of autophagy. And if you fast long-term, that will mostly predominate into autophagy, but never 100%. 
because you're always in a state where you are creating something. For example, you're always creating, for example, your hormones, your thyroid hormone, neurotransmitters. You are recycling some things, even if you are fully fasted. So even in a fully fasted state, there are still some mTOR going on. So people think that they want to inhibit mTOR to activate autophagy more, which I think is a bad idea because what you want to do is what is causing that in the first place to become dysfunctional? Well, for example, you get metabolic disorders, you become insulin resistant, you have hyperinsulinemia, you have an increase in oxidative stress and inflammation that is increasing the requirements for autophagy. Doesn't mean you should stimulate autophagy more, you should prevent this bad stuff from happening in the first place. So a very interesting thing that can do that is an uncoupling. So it's an uncoupler. So you want to uncouple your mitochondria and that can actually, in a disease state, restore proper energy production and lower oxidative stress and inflammation. So you end up with less DNA and protein and lipid damage. So boosting uncoupling is a great way to improve your health in the first place that reduces the core requirements for autophagy. Now, I don't think you need excessive amounts of autophagy. Most of the autophagy happens when you are asleep. That's when all of it should happen adequately. And if you get good quality sleep, that's when it should happen the best. So here is the problem that I have with rapamycin. It just inhibits mTOR. It doesn't stimulate uncoupling and it doesn't actually improve the autophagy process. But there's other compound that can actually improve the autophagy process and boost uncoupling. And that compound is called niclosamide. It was originally designed as an antiparasitic compound, and it kills the parasites by uncoupling them so they actually can't produce energy very well, and they just die. So it's a very safe way for us to get rid of parasites. Now, the absorption rate, unlike DNP, like you can actually die from uncoupler called DNP, but with niclosamide, the absorption is very poor, about 10%. So you do absorb a good amount that boosts your health, but you can never really OD on it. Um, so it, it doesn't have that kind of side effect. The only side effect that it has, it can cause some gastrointestinal upset and you just get a runny stomach, get rid of the excess niclosamide. So you might have to find like what dose works good for you. But in general, 500 milligrams on a daily basis is more than enough. Another point that I have against rapamycin is that it's half-life is three days and you want to be in the anabolic state, right? Like we should never be just in a catabolic state. We should always create new muscle, new bone, new ligaments, regenerate neurons and all this stuff. Regeneration is extremely important for health. It's not just a breakdown, but also the anabolism. So this is where I think a lot of people get it wrong is that as you age, anabolism actually decreases. So now you overfocus on autophagy where the, the whole problem is that you have an axis of oxidative stress in the first place, and you already have suboptimal anabolism. What you actually need to do is boost your anabolism and get rid of the oxidative stress that is causing the requirement for autophagy more. That's why niclosamide is so great. So on the flip side, niclosamide has a half-life of six hours, which makes it a great supplement to use before bed. So it can increase uncoupling, reduce inflammation, and oxidative stress when you sleep. So it can actually improve your sleep quality. And a lot of people have, they have low um, core temperature when they sleep. So they take a long time to fall, to get asleep properly and stay asleep because of a poor core temperature. And actually increasing some people's core temperature can make them sleep much better. So niclosamide can slightly increase your core temperature with uncoupling and help to improve your sleep quality. And then in that period when you sleep, it upregulates autophagy and it improves the quality of the autophagy. So let's go over the studies here. 
Here we have suppression of lysosome function induced autophagy via feedback regulation of the mTOR complex one. So basically the study just shows that nicolosamide and mTOR complex one inhibitor was able to inhibit lysosome degradation and increase lysosomal permeability. So this is important that this is the lysosome that fuses with the auto, with this autophagosome, right? So if this uh, lysosome is more permeable, it can fuse better. And this whole process can be more effective. So nicolosamide is actually very good for stimulating autophagy in a similar way that rapamycin can. So that is in terms of autophagy. Now, there are other processes as well where proteolytic enzymes then degrade those uh, dysfunctional mitochondria, for example, because you can have this engulfing effect, but there's still proteolytic enzymes that need to digest that. So when your protein, for example, becomes damaged by reactive oxygen species, it's basically short-lived and long-lived proteins. And when autophagy doesn't work very good, those proteins that is damaged can become, uh, they can accumulate, and the accumulation of those damaged proteins can lead to protein aggregation, which is a hallmark of neurodegenerative conditions. So let's look at this study. Nicolosamide prevents the formation of large ubiquitin-containing aggregates caused by proteosome inhibition. So basically, those proteosomes degrade these dysfunctional and damaged proteins. So protein aggregation is a hallmark of many neurodegenerative diseases and has been linked to the failure to degrade misfolded and damaged proteins. In the cell, aberrant proteins are degraded by ubiquitin proteosome system that mainly targets short-lived proteins or by the lysosomes that mostly clear long-lived and poorly soluble proteins. Both systems are interconnected and in some instances, autophagy can redirect the proteosome substances to the lysosome. So here is a picture. Here is the ubiquitin that is this whole process here. So, and the process creates and binds this ubiquitin and this four ubiquitin that bind to the target. Then by binding to the target, it leads it to the proteasome so that the proteasome can then degrade the target. So as you can see, it's an energy intensive process. It uses ATP to collect all these ubiquitins to form this four ubiquitin to bind to the target. Uh, they didn't put the second process here, but actually there's two steps in this whole process that require ATP. So it's an energy intensive process for this process to work. That's why when you're fasted, you don't, you're not in a high ATP state. And this process will not work as good as when you're actually in a fed state or in a process where uh, your metabolism is working with thyroid is working properly. An article on that coming soon. So here is the principal findings. Nicolosamide prevents large aggregate formation induced by proteosome inhibition. While the prototypical mTOR inhibitor rapamycin had no apparent effect, nicolosamide also precludes the accumulation of polyubiquitin proteins and of P62 upon, upon proteosome inhibition. Furthermore, nicolosamide induces a change in lysosome distribution in the cell that in the absence of proteosome activity, may favor the uptake into lysosomes of ubiquinated proteins before they form large aggregates. So this is where nicolosomide is actually better than rapamycin in helping to get rid of that damaged proteins faster. It's not just about stimulating autophagy, it's about stimulating proper autophagy. The ubiquitin proteosome system plays a major role in this process by selectively degrading a large portion of short-lived proteins. 
For instance, under some conditions, up to 30% of newly synthesized proteins are directly eliminated by this UPS. Selective degradation by the UPS is a two-step process in which the substance is first covalently attached to ubiquitin, a small 76 amino acid protein, and then targeted to the large multimetric proteasome complex for proteolysis. The UPS degrades both key regulatory proteins as well as misfolded and damaged proteins. Failure to degrade misfolded proteins leads to their accumulation and aggregation in the cell. So as you can see, this ubiquitin needs to bind to the target so that it can be used by the proteasome to degrade it. Otherwise, if this process with the attachment of ubiquinone to the target doesn't work, there will be an accumulation. And what Nicholas and Mike can do is it can optimize this system. And then as I mentioned, you don't just want to upregulate autophagy. You want to upregulate proper autophagy. And you want to solve the problem why people need this excessive autophagy in the first place, because there is something called autophagy stress, excessive autophagy, excessive damage to proteins and amino acids and lipids and so on. The study shows that autophagic stress in neuronal injury and disease. So while starvation-induced autophagy involves non-selective bulk degradation in the cytoplasm, Mechanisms that regulate selective targeting of damaged organelles form an emerging area. So they are this non-selective, but also selective. You want to optimize the selective area, which it seems that Nicholas and Mike can do. Instead, the striking accumulation of autophagic vacuolus in dying and degenerating neurons likely reflects an imbalance between the rates of autophagic sequestration and completion of the degenerative process. In other words, these cells can be thought of as undergoing autophagic stress. So in this process here, in this maturation process is where it becomes overwhelmed. This whole uh, maturation and fusion process can become overwhelmed so that it actually causes autophagic stress, which is not a good thing. So what causes this autophagic stress? It's excessive oxidative stress and inflammation that damages protein complexes that upregulates the requirements for autophagy. So oxidative stress, it causes the increase in AMPK, and AMPK stimulates autophagy. So it's not necessarily the increase in oxidative stress, but it's actually the damage that, that oxidative stress causes. So you need this burst, and you need a certain level of oxidative stress in the body to perform functions, but you don't want an excessive amount, and you don't want that to then damage the protein. So upper-regulating uncoupling, as I mentioned, can actually reduce oxidative stress and the inflammation caused by the oxidative stress. And nicolosamide can do that. And then nicolosamide also upregulates the proper oxidation of glucose in fat. So it can help to reverse type 2 and type 1 diabetes. Rapmycin inhibits mTOR for three days, keeps you in a catabolic state, a more catabolic state for a long period of time. And it doesn't upregulate that anabolic state, which you really need as you age. Whereas nicolosamide only has a half-life of six hours. So it's perfect for using it during the night to upregulate those proper autophagy processes to lower inflammation, upregulate autophagy, and get rid of those uh, damaged proteins so that they don't accumulate, cause protein aggregation, and lead to neurodegenerative conditions. So nicolosamide is pretty easy to find, and it's pretty cheap as well. Link in the description for you guys. You don't need a prescription. I hope this video is helpful. If you want to use a health-promoting and longevity-promoting supplement, and it's not rapamycin, I don't think rapamycin is a good idea anyway, Nicholas Amide is an awesome alternative, so be sure to give it a shot and let me know your results.